What's up, you guys? I'm Haley. And I'm Andrea. And this is Inhuman, a true crime podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about a very big, I think, case, Um, and most of you have probably at least heard the former name of this case, Um, and you've probably seen it in the news recently, because I think it's been hitting, like, I feel like there's two levels of true crime news. There's, like, true crime news that gets attention, but, like, isn't big if you're outside of the true crime community, and then there's, like, true crime news that everyone hears about right and this is one of those that everyone hears about like even my husband had heard about it and he does not do true crime at all that's so so true like you just breaking that down that's so freaking true because i didn't really think about it because i'm in the true crime community so right you don't think about it crazy yeah yeah so most of you have probably heard about the boy in the box and the recent movement But today, we are going to be talking about Joseph Augustus Zarelli, formerly known as the Boy in the Box. Bless his heart. That's all I have to say. Gosh. I know. So we're starting way back in 1957. On February 25th, a young man was in the woods in Fox Chase, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, checking his muskrat traps. He came across a cardboard box, and when looking inside, he found the body of a young boy wrapped in a plaid blanket. This man did not report his discovery, though, because he was afraid that the police would confiscate his muskrat traps. So instead, he left the box there untouched. Is muskrat trapping illegal? I don't know if... I mean, I'm assuming so. I should have looked that up, I guess. (laughs) No, Um, I'm just like, what? But... Yeah, he he basically didn't want to talk to the police, Yeah, so he was like, somebody else can find this. Ugh, that's awful. Shame on you. I know. A college student driving in that same area, in some reports, it said that he was trying to find women who were, like, playing in the woods. Other reports said he was watching a rabbit run into the, like, underbrush. Either way. (laughs) I'm laughing. But either way... (laughs) He went into the woods, and he spotted that same cardboard box and discovered the same thing. Wow. And he, too, was reluctant to go to police at first because, again, people just didn't want to talk to the police. Like, they just didn't want to, you know, yeah, get themselves involved. Yeah, because then you eyes on yourself, and you seem suspicious for some reason. But, yeah, I mean, but don't do that. It's just not no. right. Yeah. Like, you, at least now, you can submit things anonymously. Like, True. just do that, if nothing else. Yeah. But this guy, the next day, heard about a young girl who had disappeared in New Jersey. And after hearing that, he was like, I need to report this. So he reported what he found to police. When police arrived at the scene, they found this box and they determined that it had been for a bassinet that was sold by the department store JCPenney. And they actually were able to discover that it had been sold at a store in Upper Darby, Pennsylvania, between December 3rd, 1956 and February 16th, 1957. Okay. 
And even though at the time the department store only took cash, they were able to track down who purchased this particular bassinet and there was no connection to the victim. So this obviously happened later on, but I thought that was pretty incredible that they were able to like figure out who purchased this and investigate that. Yeah, for sure. That time period, especially. Yeah. The body inside the box was wrapped in a plaid blanket and was completely naked. The young boy was clean and freshly groomed, and he had recently received a cropped haircut, possibly after his death. So weird. But this haircut is reported to not have looked like it was done by a professional. Like, it was very kind of messy and blunt, and it wasn't, it didn't look like, you know, he had just gotten a fresh haircut from the barber. Okay. Despite being well-groomed, the boy had extensive bruising on his body, which was indicative of him having suffered physical abuse before his death. His lips were dry and bloody. He was also extremely malnourished, with his ribs showing through his skin. Oh my gosh. X-rays of his body also showed arrested growth, which is basically like like stunted growth caused by damage to any growth plate. And so because of this, his body looked like that of a child that was just over two years old. But this boy was estimated at the beginning to be between three and seven years old. My goodness. So that makes me think either his parents were neglecting him or he had been under somebody's uh, Mm – like somebody had kidnapped him and kept him for Mm -hmm. an extended period of time. Wow. Yeah. He had surgical scars on his ankle and groin, and he had another L-shaped scar under his chin. Mm. On February 26, 1957, an investigation into this boy's death began. His cause of death was ruled as homicide, and his manner of death was blunt force trauma. Initially, investigators believed that his death could have possibly been an accident, thinking that maybe the person who cut his hair may have accidentally applied too much pressure while holding his head in place. Mm. So that was kind of the initial thought, but it's never been confirmed if his death was accidental or not, and many believe it wasn't accidental, and either way, his it's been ruled as a homicide. Yeah, I mean, all the abuse or what appears to be abuse and neglect, I mean, that should be... Pointing in that direction, for sure. Exactly. Police took his fingerprints, hoping to be able to identify him, but they were unable to find anything. Over 270 police academy recruits combed through the crime scene several times, and they were able to discover a man's cap, a child's scarf, and a white handkerchief with the letter G in the corner. But other than that, there were pretty much no clues surrounding the body and all of this that was found led nowhere okay investigators released a poster with post-mortem photos of the victim's face Mm. and they also put clothes on him and like kind of sat him up to try to make try to like recreate what he would have looked like before death And they did this because they had no idea of his identity at all. And they were trying to do anything they could to see if somebody would recognize him. That's so crazy. No one came forward. What in the heck? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this poster also included a lot of information about 
where he was found, and they were just hoping somebody would recognize him. And I'll post a photo of the poster on our Instagram and Facebook for you guys to see. But basically, it explained that the boy was estimated to have died three days to two weeks before he was discovered. They weren't able to um, pinpoint when he died because uh, it's cold in Philadelphia in February and temperature can like mess with decomposition. So they weren't able to determine exactly when. So it could have been two weeks or it could have just been a couple of days. Okay. The blanket found wrapped around his body was made from cheap cotton flannel and it was patterned with diamonds and blocks in the colors green, rust, and white. They shared on the poster that a men's size seven and a half cap was found near the body. This was described as a royal blue corduroy in good condition with a leather strap in the back. It had a large roll of tissue in the sweatband and had been made by Robin's bald eagle cap in Philadelphia. Later, the owner of this store was able to recall the man who came into the store to purchase this cap, saying that he came in alone, but this man was never identified or found. The victim was described as being four to five years old, weighing just 30 pounds, and having blue eyes and medium to light brown hair. The Philadelphia Inquirer printed 400,000 of these flyers, and they were posted all around the area. They were sent out with every gas bill in Philly. And it was just shared widely, widely. And that's when this case started to gain a pretty massive media attention in Philadelphia. Soon after, a barber in Philadelphia came forward saying that he was certain that he'd cut this boy's hair about a week before the body was found. Hmm. So he said that the boy came into his barber shop with his brother and that they left unharmed. And he told authorities that he knew where the boy lived in a neighborhood near Fairmount Park, but investigators looked into that and the lead went nowhere so i don't know if it was just somebody coming forward trying to like get involved Be in or the if he actually did yeah. but from all of the reports and description of the way that the body was found it does not sound like a barber cut this boy's hair maybe he just like had a similar client and just got yeah, confused exactly. this was like a little boy with like light brown hair blue eyes like i feel like it's not that uncommon right so, yeah, I, I feel like it definitely was, you know, someone similar, but not the actual victim. Yeah. And no one else recognized the boy. Tons and tons of tips came flooding in, but nothing helped police identify him. News about his discovery began to spread across the country, and he eventually became known as America's unknown child. Mm. He was buried in a potter's field. Now, without being able to identify the victim, police had very little to go on to find his killer. There were several theories that surfaced throughout the years, and we're going to go through all of those. But first, we're going to jump ahead 65 years to just two weeks ago. Okay. On November 30th, 2022, the Philadelphia Police Department announced that they had identified the young boy through genetic testing and genetic genealogy. Wow. 
On December 8th, 2022, he was publicly identified as Joseph Augustus Zarelli. Mm. He was born on January 13th, 1953, making him just four years old at the time of his death. The Philadelphia police announced that they will be using this new information to continue searching for suspects. And we'll talk a little bit more about that at the end. But for now, I want to jump back and talk about some of the theories that developed over the 65 years that he went unidentified. Okay. So the first and one of the most prominent theories in this case is the foster home theory. So this revolves around a foster home that was about a mile and a half away from where Joseph's body was found. And this theory basically says that he was a foster kid in that home and he died accidentally either from a fall or from drowning. This theory came about when Remington Bristow, who was an employee that worked at the medical examiner's office, contacted a New Jersey psychic in 1960. Oh, goodness. I know. So Bristow had been working on the case, and he was determined to figure out who this boy was, and he actually stayed, like, working very hard to figure out who this boy was from 1960 through his death in 1993. Wow. That's crazy. So the psychic told Bristow that the boy had died while living in an old mansion turned foster home. And Bristow was able to find an old mansion turned foster home just a mile and a half from the scene of the discovery. And he actually went and interviewed the husband and wife who ran the home, but he didn't get anything solid out of it. Okay. But he was still convinced that they could have been involved. So in 1961, he attended an estate sale at that foster home. At the estate sale, he says he found a bassinet similar to the one sold at JCPenney that was the box. Right. And blankets that were similar patterns to the one found on the body. So this theory formed, and it basically was that the man who ran the foster home had a stepdaughter who had a child, but she was unwed. Okay. Bristow believed that the boy was the stepdaughter's son and that they had killed him or there had been an accident and they disposed of his body so that the mother would not be exposed as an unwed mother. Because remember, this is the 50s. Right. You don't you know do that sex before marriage (laughs) yeah so whether you know this the stepdaughter's son died in an accident or they killed him whatever they like disposed of his body to try to just get rid of it okay was that that was a true thing like she really did have a baby that was yes and we find out later she did have a baby but and i'll talk about that in a second okay so police did look into this theory and it seemed pretty promising at first but they were able to account for all of the foster children. And investigators later said that it was unlikely that the family was involved in the boy's death. Okay. In 1998, so decades later, Tom Augustine, the Philadelphia police lieutenant, actually interviewed the foster father and the stepdaughter. Oh, wow. And through this reinvestigation, they were able to find that the woman did have a son who died in an accident in 1957. What? But records were able to prove that the boy in the box was not her child. What are the odds of that? I know. Isn't that crazy? What the hell? Was he the same age as? 
I think around the same age. Yeah. Oh my gosh. What are the odds of that? I know. But with that, this investigation into this theory was closed and written off. Okay. That same year, 1998, Joseph's body was exhumed for the first time to extract DNA in the hopes of identification. Because again, this is decades later, DNA had come very far, and they were hoping that maybe they'd be able to do something. After this exhumation, Joseph was reburied at Ivy Hill Cemetery, who donated a large plot for the then-unidentified victim. Mm -hmm. And the coffin, headstone, and funeral service were all donated by the son of the man who had initially buried the boy in 1957. Oh my gosh. And this was when the headstone that you may have seen before with America's Unknown Child written on it was placed. Uh, I'm going to cry. I know. Public attention around this reburial was pretty massive and a large amount. There was a large public attendance and media coverage. And after the service, residents of the city continued to keep the grave decorated with flowers and toys. So... They, they exhumed the body, got DNA, more DNA in 1998, but unfortunately that didn't lead anywhere. Dang. So that takes us into our next theory, which is the other biggest theory in the case, and it's called the Martha or M theory. Okay. In February 2002, a woman only identified as Martha came forward claiming that her mother had purchased an unknown boy from his birth parents in the summer of 1954. She claimed that this boy, who she said was named Jonathan, lived in their basement and was only being used for her mother to abuse. She said that he was subjected to extreme physical and sexual abuse and recalled one particular night where at dinner, the boy vomited up his meal of baked beans, after which he was given a severe beating until he was semi-conscious. Martha said that during this, his head had been slammed against the floor, and her mother then gave the boy a bath, during which he died. Martha claimed that her mother then cut the boy's distinctive long hair in an effort to conceal his identity, and then her mother forced her to assist her in dumping his body in the fox chase area. Martha said that when they got there, they were preparing to remove the body from the trunk when a male motorist passed was passing by and pulled up next to them to ask if they needed help because didn't know why this car was stopped on the side of the road. Right. Martha says that her mother ordered her to stand in front of their car's license plate to shield it from view while she convinced the man that they were fine and didn't need help. She said the man eventually drove off and they then disposed of his body. Now, when was this? In 2002, you said? 2002, yeah. So it would have been kind of public knowledge where he had been found. Where he was found, yes. However, this story matched some details that had never been released to the public, supposedly. Okay. Okay. It's, you know, these details are obviously now known, so I don't know when they got released. Right. But from everything I read at the time, some of these details had not been released. Okay. And this includes that the coroner had found that the boy's stomach contained the remains of baked beans. Oh. And that his fingers were wrinkled from being in water before his death. Okay. 
And then there was also a confidential testimony that had been given by a male witness in 1957 that loosely matched Martha's story of the motorist passing by. Oh, okay. So this seemed very promising because a lot of Martha's story did line up with what they knew about the boy. Right. However, Martha had a history of mental illness and police were able to unable to verify her story. Okay. Neighbors who had access to Martha's home during the mid-1950s claimed that there was no boy living there and they dismissed Martha's claims as ridiculous. Mm, that's sad. However, police were never able to confirm or deny Martha's theories. Right. And I think that that's just as relevant that they weren't able to yeah. deny them. Absolutely. Like, yes, they weren't able to confirm them. But just because she suffered from mental illness doesn't mean she's completely making this up. Like, And, and what are the, the neighbors? Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> and I was just going to say, and then the neighbors saying there wasn't a boy. Well, if they forced him to, like, stay in the basement, like... Yep. That was my point. Yep. How would they know? You're not going to be like, hey, guys, come over and watch me abuse this kid that's not mine. Yeah, Sexually and physically. Let's make a party out of it. No. Especially not in the freaking 50s. Like, you're Susie Homemaker, you know? Yeah, exactly. So I definitely, of all the theories, I think this is the one that could be the most realistic. Yeah. Yeah. But... They've kind of written it off. Um, I'm sure they're still looking into it because, like I said, it's never been fully – like the foster home theory, they were able to say that her son was not this boy, whereas this one they can't definitively say it's not true. Right. So people to this day believe this theory to be true. The next theory is that this boy had been raised as a girl, and this was developed by forensic artist Frank Bender. So this kind of came from the fact that there were kind of clumps of hair found on his body and the fact that his hair had been chopped off so hastily. Yeah. And also Frank Bender said that his eyebrows looked to have been styled more so than just natural eyebrows. Okay. So Frank actually released a a sketch of the victim with long hair depicting the strands of hair that were found on his body. And he kind of developed this theory that this boy was actually being raised as a girl for whatever reason, by whoever, but trying to get out there like, you may have known this victim as a young girl, not a young boy. Okay. Like, hey, this is a possibility, so let's keep this door wide open. Yeah, exactly. But unfortunately, this theory didn't really go much further than that, and it doesn't really look like there's any evidence to to prove it okay but there is a possibility that he had long hair at some point because of the long hairs found on him yep because there were long hairs found on him and the way that his hair was cut off made investigators think that it had basically been chopped off to try to conceal his identity so it was definitely longer than just like a short normal boy cut right so that would kind of corroborate martha's Mm -hmm. story too i mean yep yeah In 1961, a couple of carnival workers named Kenneth and Irene Dudley came under suspicion because it was discovered that one of their 10 children, a seven-year-old girl named Carol Ann, had died from neglect, malnutrition, and exposure. The fuck, man? I know. And they became particularly interesting to investigators because 
Carol Ann was not buried in a in a cemetery. And instead, the couple wrapped her in a blanket and placed her body in a wooded area in Virginia. What? So they were kind <sighs> of like, that's kind of similar. Yeah. kind of weird that, like, you know, this you Just young... leave your baby in the woods mm -hmm. alone. That's yeah. That's wonderful. So investigators started looking into Kenneth and Irene and interviewed them. And they actually discovered that several of the family's 10 children had died from starvation and that none of them had been properly buried. In the world. So they began trying to look into if the boy in the box could have been one of their 10 children. But investigators watched their movements for months and questioned them several times, and they eventually determined that they were not linked to the case. So I'm guessing they were able to find all of the children okay it didn't explicitly say that but right it sounds like they're pretty sure that they are ruled out so i'm guessing there's something that we don't know as the public yeah that they were able to rule them out did they mention whether or not they went to jail that's what i want to know <laughs> they did not and honestly i don't think they did because unfortunately you know if like the family just couldn't afford food i don't know at what point yeah. especially back then it becomes a crime versus an unfortunate life which obviously i'm not saying is good and like right i think they should have been but back then i just don't think they could do much about it and i guess like leaving your deceased child in the woods is probably not really a crime Yeah, not necessarily a crime yeah unfortunately in 2013, two writers believed that they discovered the identity of the boy in the box. So Jim Hoffman and Louis Romano had been previously introduced by a man in Philadelphia. And Hoffman and this man had been working together to discover a, uh, to discover a potential identity of the boy, linking him to Memphis, Tennessee. Okay. And then in December 2013, Romano became aware of this lead and agreed to help the two obtain DNA from a family member that they believe the victim was connected to. They were able to get this DNA in January 2014 and immediately sent it to the Philadelphia PD for comparison. They had to wait a very long time for this to happen. And in 2016, Hoffman and Romano wrote about their theory publicly and investigators were continuing to look into that lead and comparing the DNA. Okay. In December 2017, four years after this theory was first brought to the police department, Homicide Sergeant Bob Kohlmeyer revealed that the DNA from the family member in Memphis and the boy in the box did not match. So that theory, Ruled out the out. window. Yeah. Another theory was that the boy was a Hungarian refugee. And this is one that I see talked about a lot, but it actually, I'll tell you from now, has been ruled out. Okay. But this came from fingerprint expert Bill Kelly, who theorized years after the boy was discovered that he may have been one of the many Hungarian refugees who immigrated to America in the 1950s. So Kelly had seen a story in the, in the newspaper about the refugees in 1956 and he said that one of the photos in the newspaper article looked so extremely similar to the victim. Mm. So he was like, this could have been him. He alleged that since he was an immigrant, 
and there were no records of his existence, they wouldn't be able to identify him through fingerprints, which they hadn't been able to do. Right. However, Kelly sorted through more than 11,000 passport photos and was able to actually track down the boy from the article. So he found that this boy was alive and well, living in North Carolina with his family, and that it was not the boy in the box. One other small theory I want to mention that popped up early on in the investigation was that the boy in the box was three-year-old Stephen Craig Demon, who had been kidnapped outside a supermarket in October 1955. So descriptions of Stephen and the unidentified victim were very similar, and they started comparing their medical records because of the time period, the age, and the descriptions. However, they found several things that pointed to this not being the same young boy. This included that Stephen was in treatment for kidney growth when he disappeared, and the boy in the box had no signs of any organ problems. Mm-hmm. Stephen had reportedly broken his arm, but the boy in the box did not have an arm fracture. And additionally, Stephen's distinctive freckle on the back of his calf was not found on the boy in the box. In 2003, investigators were able to definitively rule this theory out when they compared DNA from the boy to Stephen's sister, and it did not match. So that boy was never found, I guess? Nope. Mm. And I might do a a case on him um, because I was starting to read about it and I was like whoa this is crazy so we'll see but um but yeah no i don't think he was ever found and despite massive investigations into the boy in the box that happened over the 60 plus years after his discovery he remained identified and his case remained unsolved But at least now he has a name. In 2019, the boy in the box was exhumed once again to retrieve more DNA samples from his teeth. This led investigators through genetic genealogy to his relatives, including his mother and father, who are now deceased. Wow. He also has living siblings, and none of the relatives have been named to protect those living siblings. Right. But they were able to locate his birth certificate and give him a name. He will no longer be known as the boy in the box. He is Joseph Augustus Zarelli. Sources reveal that Joseph was likely the child of a prominent family in Delaware County, Pennsylvania. Hmm. It is believed that he lived in West Philadelphia around 61st and Market Street. Police have said that there are living suspects in Joseph's murder and that they are going to continue to try to identify the culprit and file criminal charges. Wow. Captain Jason Smith said, quote, we have our suspicions as to who may be responsible, but it would be irresponsible of me to share these suspicions as this remains an active and ongoing criminal investigation. Right. Which obviously is, like, hard for people like us who want to know answers, but Mm -hmm. I think we can all completely respect that because we want his killer to be caught. to justice, yeah. Yeah. 
And that is the story of Joseph Augustus Sorelli, formerly known as the boy in the box. Wow. And to this day, his case remains unsolved, but he was literally identified four days ago. And it does sound like they're working really hard to not only solve the case, but bring justice to him, especially if the culprit is still living. Why didn't his parents come forward? I'm so confused about that. Yeah, that's... And they're not suspects because they're... Well, I mean, I guess they could be suspects, but they're not living, so... Yeah. Um, I think, like, some theories that have popped up just from people talking is, like, maybe it was an accident or maybe one of the siblings had something to do with it and the parents, like, covered it up. Some people are saying that maybe it was another family member and they just wanted to, like, cover up an accident, something Mm -hmm. like that. Um, But again, that's all just, like, random people speculating. That's not coming from the police at all. His family may have had absolutely nothing to do with it. and. Yeah, but it is just amazing that they were able to identify this boy after 65 years. Thank you for still caring about him, whoever did this, because yeah, so many cases like this just get pushed on. Yeah. yeah, and they've said that they're hoping to use genetic testing and genetic genealogy to help solve other unidentified homicide cases in Philadelphia. Aww. So, yeah, we will definitely absolutely keep you guys updated, um, yeah. you know, if if and when, because we're manifesting that it'll happen, there's an arrest or the killer is identified. We will share that with you guys in a bonus episode because we'll share, you know, we we'll want to get all the details out there, but it may take right. some time. So just be patient and respect that it's an ongoing investigation. Absolutely. But... That's all I have for you guys today. I hope you can join me in honoring Joseph. I'm just so glad that he now has a name. Me too. We'll see you on Thursday with a brand new episode. And until then, keep it human.